Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. All right, Luke chapter 11. Would you guys turn there? Uh, we're going to be in verse uh, 14 through 26. This is Dr. Jim Hardwick. Uh, he's a member, a covenant member of our church, been with us since day one. Uh, Scott is his son who leads worship here. Um, if, you, if you didn't know that, this is him. Uh, he was a pastor for many, many, many years, seminary professor, and we're excited to have him here this morning as we jump into uh, this is kind of our second time of touching on the topic of, of evil and demons and, and that sort of thing. Um, so Merry Christmas to you as we talk about this. Uh, so he's going to read our passage today. If you want to follow along, Luke chapter 11, verse 14 is where we'll start. And then we're going to jump in here this morning. And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Others, to test him, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. But he knew their thoughts and said, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? So they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and not finding any. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. Awesome. So we're going to jump in. Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to walk through this passage, and Jim's going to help me. He's going to be up here the entire time. We're going to have a little bit of a conversation. Obviously, we have some notes that we prepared through this. Um, And then as we walk through this passage, just kind of bring some narration and some clarity to the passage, hopefully. Then as we wrap up, kind of bringing that to what do we do with this uh, application part. And Jim's going to share uh, some of his experience in many years of ministry uh, in, in the Midwest, but also overseas and doing work overseas in his years of pastor here. Um, and we're gonna, he's going to tell us a few stories of some things he's seen. And I want to be very clear why we're not doing this to like, ooh, bring a spooky thing here or like some sensational thing. Um, but we are doing this and, and talking about this, hopefully to bring a realness uh, to the idea of evil because one thing's like there's two we have to have a balance here because one side of this is is one people like oh evil demons like that's fairy tale that's silly um, but if you have that approach basically then what you're viewing Christianity is just this moralism and you're taking out any supernatural which 
is the Bible. The Bible is all about supernatural. Uh, and so there's that side that's very unhealthy of, oh, demons, that's just a, a silly thing. The flip side of that, the, the other side is just like, oh, this is cool, this is sensational, and you start getting into all sorts, I want to research this, and we want to find a balance here, and we hope to do that this morning. Even as, as he tells a couple stories at the end, um, I, there's, the stories are a little bit spooky, I don't know what word to use, creepy, but as we hear those stories, may we not get more excited about that than Jesus, you, you hear that? So. As we hear this, like that should always cause us to press into, I want to know Jesus more. Uh, and that's what we hope to do here today. Let me give you context in this passage. Um, we, we talked last week, the, the, the Pharisees by now, at least a group of the Pharisees have decided they're going to get, away, get rid of Jesus. They're going to do away with him. They want to kill him. They're looking for opportunities to discredit him. Last week, you know, they wanted signs, like show us signs. But it's really to try to find a way to, to discredit him and, and ruin his ministry. Today, they're just going to go right forward and they're going to call him evil. They're just going to accuse him of working in demonic power. And that's kind of what's happening in this text. And so in verse 14, Luke just kind of introduced, introduced, he says, he was, Jesus was casting out a demon and this demon was mute. Um, and so that's kind of, we just jump into the story here. Um, and it's, it's interesting that instead of, this is, the Pharisees do this all the time. Think about this, like Jesus cast out a, a demon in a person. They're, they're watching this, and instead of being like in awe of what's going on, uh, they turn into a theological debate, and they want to start, well, how do you, actually, the way he does that is with a demon. It's fascinating that they just choose to reject all the signs. You have, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? I agree with you. As I read the Gospels over and over, um, Jesus will perform some miracle in the presence of these Jewish religious leaders, and over and over they just deny his deity, his divinity. They'll say, oh, he did that on the Sabbath. He's bad. Instead of, oh, he worked a miracle. Right. He is the Messiah. Yeah, so it ends up having to do more with what he's doing than who he is um, but they, they're always looking for a way to discredit him. That's what you see here. But we're introduced again to this idea of demons and demon possession or, or demons occupying a person. And, and Luke just kind of says, it. hey, he's casting out a demon. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about this. And uh, I told you that evil's main work, the main work of evil is lying and condemning. Lying to you, to people, about the nature of who Jesus is, who God is, right? Second Corinthians, I mentioned this passage last week. The God of this age, Satan, evil, has blinded the hearts of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the glory of Jesus. That's his work, blind hearts so they don't see the gospel as glorious. The other thing is condemning, condemning you, believers, that your sin makes you unloved by God, that your sin makes you unapproachable, um, makes God unapproachable to you. He lies and, con and condemns. That's much of his work. However, we see here, and we want to make sure we understand, that there is a more active, intense, oppressive work of evil than, than simply lying and deceiving to believers. Um, now, I'm, I'm going to let you talk about this because you don't necessarily like the term demon possession, and you, why, don't you, why don't you talk about, about what you mean there? I don't believe that a true believer in Jesus can be possessed by an evil spirit in the sense of ownership. First uh, Peter 2.9 says that we are God's possession. He owns us. First 
Corinthians 6, 19 says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But in the Greek language, there's no such word as demon-possessed. The Greek term is diamonozomai, which is probably best translated demonized. And both my understanding of scripture and experience lead me to believe that believers can be demonized to some extent. That is, they can be influenced, harassed, even oppressed. But not like possessed, where a demon takes control of a That's right. Christian. Um, so, so one of the things, we, and we saw this a couple weeks ago, but we will show you, like, demons can't, to believers, physically oppress believers. Again, there's a difference between oppress and possess, and bring temptation. Look, look at 2 Corinthians, it'll be on the screen. Paul says this, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, just what God was doing in his life, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. There's some, something in his body, a messenger of Satan to, to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. So even Paul writes that he had this, we don't know what it is, he doesn't tell us what it is, but this body affliction that he attributed to evil, to Satan, to demonic activity that oppressed him. Uh, we, see, we see other people in scripture that are, their bodies are oppressed by demons. Well, remember in, in the book of Job, you know, Satan got permission from God to uh, attack Job physically and he got boils all over his body. There's another place in the gospel where there's a woman bent double because of an evil spirit. When the spirit goes out, she straightens up. So, yeah. yeah. So the other, so, so demons can physically um, oppress Christians. The other thing, and this is huge, bring temptation. Okay, First Corinthians 7, do not pry one another. He's talking to, to married couples here. Uh, Except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again. Why? So that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So we talk about temptation here, and again, we can't just take this moralistic approach where it's just, oh, I'm tempted. No, there is a work of evil in your life to draw you away from God. And, but I think it's important to realize it's not just temptation doesn't just come from Satan, but also comes from our flesh. Uh, you know, James 1.14 says, you know, we're carried away and enticed by our, our own lust, which is part of the flesh. And then the world system, the evil world system can entice us too. But Satan is kind of working through all of those yeah. things. So, so they're all at work together. Yeah. And that is the temptation you feel in your life, your flesh, the world, evil, working together to bring you away from God. Let's, let's keep going. So we have a lot to do. Luke, uh, verse 17, uh, Jesus knows their thoughts. He knows that, uh, that they're thinking, they're accusing him of being evil, of driving out evil. And I love this. Here's what he says. He says, every kingdom divided itself is laid waste and a divided household falls. And if Satan, this is Jesus talking, if Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them? And, and so he keeps going. I love, here's what Jesus says. Guys, Pharisees, this, this isn't your best day. Like, this is not your best argument. Like, you tell me I'm casting out demons by Satan. Okay, Pharisees, let's take logic for a second. I'm casting out a demon with a demon. That makes no sense. That's what Jesus tells them. Just kind of Point blank says, you guys, that's the stupidest argument I've heard. Um, 
He's like, listen, a house divided against itself won't stand. Satan knows that. I'm not using evil to cast out evil. That makes no sense. But he does introduce us to this, this character, Beelzebul. Um, what, you did some research on that. What is this? Because well, that reminds me of Bohemian Rhapsody, when that little line about... Well, okay, okay, keep going. Go ahead. As best I can tell, Beelzebul was a nickname for Satan, uh, and it meant, as the verse uh, 15 here says, the ruler of the demons. It came from the name of the Philistine god, Beelzebub, which means Lord of the Flies. But the Jews changed the name to Beelzebul because they thought it more accurately reflected Satan's character, and it means Lord of Dung, or poop. <laughs> it's your Bible. All right, let's uh, verse 21. Let's keep going. So Jesus continues. And, and so he moves from this silly, really this silly argument. The Pharisees are trying to engage him in on, hey, you cast out evil with evil. He moves away from that very quickly. And he's going to move to really some teaching about the idea of evil and why, how it works and, and why it's important to understand. Uh, and and here, so verse 21, here's what he says. When a strong man fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusts and divides his spoil. And Jesus says this, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Here's what Jesus is telling them. He's saying, listen, I'm not using evil to drive out evil. Why? Because I am stronger than evil. That's what he's telling them. I don't need demonic help to do my work. Christians, let me talk to you for a second. Um, you are possessed by Christ. In Christ, if you're a believer, in, you are possessed by Christ, the Holy Spirit. He is stronger than anything in this world. And we must understand that. We must understand that. He that is greater in you, First John says, he that is greater in you is, is greater than he that is in the world. We as believers must understand that Christ, whom we have access to through the Spirit, indwells us. He is stronger than anything in this world. Um, Bridger uh, helps us do a lot of studying. He's one of our residents, and, and we were talking, and he's, he was listening to a podcast by a biblical counselor. And this counselor said that one of the most difficult things I have to work with my people on is the idea of resisting the devil. And here's what he said, if, they, if Christians can just understand that we, powered by the Holy Spirit, are stronger in Christ than the devil, we can resist temptation in our lives. Listen to me. Jesus is stronger than that drink. Jesus is stronger than that internet website. Jesus is stronger than that tongue that wants to bite back at someone. Jesus is stronger. Now, if you believe that these other things are stronger, then you are a slave to those things. As Christians, we must understand Jesus is stronger. In Christ, I can resist the devil. I can resist temptation. I'm not bound to the whims of my desire. Jesus is stronger. You must understand it. Fundamental in your approach to fighting sin and temptation. Practically, next time you feel that pull towards something, what if in that moment you say, no, Christ is stronger than this. And in this moment, I'm going to rest on the one who's stronger, and I'm going I'm to say no here. I'm going to resist because he's stronger. Practically, say that to yourself. 
Um, one of the things, and we'll, we'll mention this a couple of times, I would point you to Dr. Harbrook did a Holy Spirit um, seminar. Any of you came to that? Raise your hand. Anyone in here? A few of you. Yeah, he did a Holy, seminar, uh, Holy Spirit seminar several weeks. It's now available on our website, on the podcast. I would point you to listen to that as he talks about this, about this more. Um, verse 24, he goes on. And this is, this is um, some, some inner weird stuff. I'll just say weird stuff here. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. So again, Jesus driven out this evil spirit. And he says, when it goes out, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. That would be that same person. And when it comes, if it finds a house swept and put in order... Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. Jim, help us out. What's he talking about here? Well, this is something of a mystery, but Scripture and experience indicate that on earth, demons prefer to inhabit a human body. Although, so that through which they can express themselves. If they can't get the body of a human, they'll settle for the body of an animal like the pigs in uh, Luke chapter 8. Or cats. Oh, maybe. They, they, maybe cats. I'm kind of convinced that's yeah, where they dwell. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but as we'll also see this morning, they can also attach to inanimate objects. So we'll get to this in a little bit. But here's what I want you to take away from this little evil wants to inhabit something. Okay? We'll come back to, come back to this. And, and, this and, and so Jesus is talking about, listen, I'm going to drive this spirit out, right? But it wants to come back to this person. And when it comes back, if it, if it finds it has, it's going to go get even more evil and try to come back again. Here's just a, a note. By the way, this is why discipleship is so important. This is why at Hill City, we don't just say, hey, come and say a prayer. Let's get baptized. Welcome to Hill City. Good luck. Hope it goes well for you. We want discipleship because we open, someone comes open to the work of Christ in their life. Evil is going to up its game. That's what Jesus teaches us here. Okay? Um, let's, let's keep going. Let's keep going here. So we, we talk about this, this passage, and, and Jesus introduces this idea of evil spirits, and he's cast them out, and he says, hey, it will come back. Um, and we want to jump now into some application and really have some discussion with you. So, so what do we do with this? Um, again, the danger is we're unaware and we just pretend that there's no evil and there's no demons. We just go about our business. The other side is we get too much into this. Um, so for, if a believer cannot be demon-possessed, and we believe that from Scripture, but we can be what you would call demonized or oppressed. So... How would a, not that we want to, this is a, how does a believer open themselves up to demonic activity? I think there's three dangerous things that can do that. One is um, unrepentant sin. And the next one would be occult practices and objects and that there would be false religions, which typically a Christian's not involved in, but sometimes they get led astray. Okay, so let's, let's hit these, and these are really going to camp out on, you're going to kind of tell us some of your some stories of what you've seen with this. Okay. Um, so let's go first to the idea of unrepentant sin. Talk about that and, and what you mean there. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. You see, there is a kind of righteous anger, like anger against injustice. But Paul says it's a sin to hold on to any kind of anger, to not forgive and let it go by the time the sun sets. If we fail to do that, then we give an opportunity or, or literally a place to the devil. It gives him a toehold, maybe a foothold, maybe even a stronghold in our lives. In the case of anger, instead of just getting normally angry, all of a sudden there's just whoosh, explosive anger, totally out of control. And sometimes that stronghold of sin can be passed down from generation to generation. Uh, in Exodus 20, verse 5, God says of demonic idols, you shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. In the occult world, there's the phenomenon known as a familiar spirit. Familiar, that is from family. And sometimes there can be influence passed down from family member to family member. Um, and, and this is something you've seen very practically. And you, I think you have a story for us of where you've seen this be, take place. We had a staff member in a former church, and they had a little six-year-old boy, and he was a normal six-year-old boy, you know, got rebellious and disobedient sometimes and got disciplined, but, but you know, he would pretty much straighten out for a while. But then there was one six-week period where he was totally out of control, totally rebellious, no matter how many times they spanked him or put him in timeout, just, it was unbelievable. Just and like they, this, this expression of anger that was more than normal. They, yeah, he was just, it was amazing. So they began talking to them, and he, and he said, well, mom and dad, every night this figure comes at the foot of my bed and talks to me. And they said, really? And they and they'd be saying, well, what does he say? Well, he says, he says that he is... Uh, my grandpa's king, and he used this particular term for grandpa that he used for one of his grandfathers who was an unbeliever and really didn't want anything to do with God. He said, I am that grandpa's king. And they realized, oh, this must be an evil spirit. And so they came to me for counsel, and I shared with them, I said, you need to pray over him. I pr probably do that when he's asleep and, um, and ask God to remove this influence from the, his, his grandfather, this demonic spirit. And so one night they put him to bed as usual, and then they sat on the couch together to pray a little bit, read scripture, kind of got their nerve up. And then they walked into the room where he was. And uh, they said when they walked into the room, there was this unusual wave of cold. And that's something typical in haunted houses. And they said they had this overwhelming fear. It said the hair went up on the back of their necks. I don't know if that would happen to you. <laughs> I don't think I'd but, worry about uh, that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, and so they began praying over the child as he was laying in the bed. And he began thrashing back and forth pretty strong as they were praying. But finally, when they finished praying, he was calm and he was quiet. And when he woke up the next day, he was back to normal. You're still occasionally disobedient, but not wildly like before. Hmm. And so, so the reason you kind of told them to, 
again, not like cast out a demon, just pray over him, was because of his mentioning of seeing this figure that was a grandparent, that was a, a, that was a disobedient. It was the spirit of this grandparent. Got it. Got yeah. it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so, and believe, again, let's, let's hear this. We talk, about unre- we talk about sin here and repenting of sin, right? And one of the things we never want to do here, and I, and I hope we do this, is, is shame you for sin, especially even those sins that are maybe shameful and embarrassing and that sort of thing. But as believers, we do need to hear this. The longer we allow unrepentant sin in our lives, the more we open ourselves up to bondage there. Not just of that sin, but even bondage that comes from an evil. And parents, we even have to hear this. The Bible teaches that in, in some way, and I don't know if we understand this, but in some way that evil can be passed on to children and, and that our children are bound to some of those same things. It's a uh, real motivation for parents to repent, for sure. Yeah. So that, that is why, like at Hill City, that's why we talk about repentance of not of this like, oh, I've got to repent, the shameful thing, but this, this really beautiful thing where Jesus invites us with other believers to confess our sins and repent of our sins uh, so that we can have fullness and joy in Christ. And, and maybe we hear that again as believers, that we must keep this posture of repentance um, in our lives. And it's dangerous to kind of live in that, in that unrepentant, rebellious sin. By the way, if you want help in how to deal with satanic influence, harassment, or oppression in your life or the life of one of your loved ones, is I strongly recommend the book The Bondage Breaker by Neil Anderson. The Bondage Breaker is Jesus, and the book will give you step-by-step practical help on how to get free. Awesome. So, so the first one you talk about is, so again, the question, how, can believer, how do believers kind of set themselves up for demonic oppression? You're going to say unrepentant sins, one of the number one. And then here's another one that we want to make sure and hit is occult practices and objects. I was listening to um, John Piper talk about this, and he said in his experience, anyone that's had like demonic activity in their life has almost always, there's some history of them or someone close to them kind of being involved in occult practices, witchcraft, something like that, that there is a opening yourself up to that. Um, Deuteronomy 18, um, God warns the children of Israel not to, not to do this. And, and let, let me read through this. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There, now, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his sons or daughter as an offering, which again, that was a very common thing in, in the ancient world of sacrificing children. Um, anyone who practices divination, which what, what's he's That's gonna, basically getting uh, supernatural knowledge by means of the occult. That's like uh, astrology, uh, uh, tarot cards, that kind of thing. Okay. So practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or sorcerer. Sorcerer, that's practicing magic. Okay. Or a charmer. Same thing. Or a medium or necromancer. That's bringing up the spirit of the dead. Or anyone who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. So God warns them very, very, very carefully and kind of goes through this idea of occult witchcraft, spiritual practices and objects, which again, many of us be like, okay, well, good. I've never, I've never, you know, interpreted omen or anything like that, but you've seen this a lot. 
through the years. And this is one of the things, he, I think you have several things to talk to us about here. Well, um, when I was first in seminary, I was discipling a college student who'd come out of their drug culture on the West Coast, and he'd taken a lot of hallucinogens, and, and um, we would be sitting, I'd do my homework, he was doing his homework, and he would just sit and stare. And I said to him, so what are you seeing? He says, I'm seeing into the spirit world. And I'm seeing all this stuff going on in the spirit world. I thought, oh, okay, we need to deal with this. And so I began to ask him about, you know, any practices or objects. Did you or, say it that calmly? We need, we need to deal with this. Probably, oh, yeah. And so, um, so uh, anyway, he, uh, he said, well, you know, I, my roommate in Tacoma was a warlock. He's a, a male witch. And he put a hex or a spell on a pair of pants, a jeans, and he gave them to me. He said, keep them with me always. And he, he said, I call them, he said, he called them my boogie pants. And I said, well, we probably ought to go burn those boogie pants. And so uh, I got a, another friend of mine who was a strong Christian. We got in the car. We were riding to his apartment to pick up these pants. And on the way, he was terrified. Your, your friend was uh, the, 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 the college student was. The student, okay. He was terrified, and he, he kept saying, I'm hearing voices in my head saying, if these pants burn, you die. So we started singing that old hymn, Power in the Blood, and uh, that kind of calmed him down a little bit. Anyway, he burned the pants, and he was set free in large measure. He still had other things to work through, but he was set free in large measure. So again, this idea, and we see this in, in Jesus, they go... Spirits look to occupy something, preferences of person, but even objects. And, and one of the things that you've, as we talked, and he told me several stories, and we were kind of deciding which ones to show here, seemed like there was this common theme that there, there was an object related in, in many of these stories. Um, and so one of the things that many of us maybe grew up around or in college, high school, was Ouija boards. Anyone, anyone kind of messed around with those a little bit? And, and we talked about that because, again, I've never done the Ouija board thing, but from what I know, you, you hold on to this little object, and you're basically inviting evil to occupy an object, or even really, at some guide level, your guide your hand. Yeah. So it's, it's this idea of inviting, inviting evil in is what you're doing there. Can you, can you talk about... Well, after you mentioned that a few weeks ago, um, Michelle and I got in the car, and she said, Jim, do you remember that witch that we... Uh, uh, dealt with I said which witch and you know because we've dealt, dealt, dealt with a lot of people but uh, by the way you know as gospel influence is weakening in this country witchcraft is exploding I read this week that there are more Wiccans in America now than there are Presbyterians and Wiccans practice witchcraft um, when I was in Tucson, Arizona, I was a youth pastor, and a high school girl uh, attended our group, and then she uh, had problems, so she came to our house for counseling, and she sat on the couch with Michelle and I and explained that she was a witch, and uh, she was in a part of a coven and casting spells, and, and we said, well, how did you get into this? And she said it was through an Ouija board. Okay. And you know, that was the means by which she got into the occult. Um, anyway, uh, as I was sharing the gospel with her, she, she said, I'm hearing voices screaming in my head, saying, don't listen to this guy. Don't listen to this stuff. So we prayed. The voices quieted down. She did receive Christ. 
But when Halloween neared, the witches in the coven tried to get her back in. And uh, she said, no, I don't want to go back in. And so the, they finally threatened to cast a spell on her, and she was terrified. But we prayed, and she was safe. And then she continued to grow in the Lord and walk with Him. Hmm. So, so we have students down front. Friend, your friend's house, they pull out a Ouija board. Run out the back door. Like, get out of there. I'm serious. Get out of there. Be exactly. careful about opening yourself up to um, objects and, and kind of occult practices. So one of the questions, and I, and I wanted to go here because if you've read the news uh, in the past month or two in Springfield, there's this big discussion around yoga and whether it is of devil and evil and to be avoided or, or that sort of thing. Um, and you, you have some words. I, I didn't know this, but Jim was a big yogi. They called you yogi in college? Yeah, yeah. that was my nickname in yeah. college because for four years, I, before I was a Christian, I practiced yoga and uh, uh, did all that meditation stuff. Personally, I don't have a problem with the physical part of yoga, the stretching or the strengthening exercises. I believe the problem comes when you uh, do the meditation part where you try to get your mind passive by meditating on a mantra or trying to get your mind blank. That's when the evil spirits are basically invited in. Uh, that's what witches do before they cast a spell. That's what mediums do before they channel a so-called spirit of the dead. They try to get their mind passive. Um, when I was in Tucson again, um, uh, a, man, a young guy came to me after the service and he said, he's not a Christian, he said, Jim, I've been going to Silva Mind Control. And they've been teaching me how to get down into different levels of meditation. He said, and after some weeks, I finally got down to the seventh level where I was introduced to two spirit guides. And these guides have given me the power to take a glass of water and program it mentally so that somebody who drinks this glass of water is healed of their disease. And I said, friend, those aren't just spirit guides. Those are demons. And you need to renounce them and renounce this power and give your life to Christ. I mean, I shared the gospel yeah. too. He didn't want to do that because he was all enamored with this little fake power that these demons had given him. So watch the meditation. So, so for the yoga thing, where you see the danger is in the emptying of your mind. And, yes. and my wife and I have done hot yoga sometimes, and I'm trying not to pass out. That's what I'm really focused on there. Uh, <laughs> But the teacher would say, now just empty your mind and get in touch with the energy. And I was like, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Focus on scripture. Focus I'm, on I'm Jesus. More focus on the pain in the back of my, my yeah. Uh, so, so again, and what one pastor says for his church is his thing. And we're not going to ever talk about that. But for, for what, what we would say is on the yoga that I don't necessarily think you have to go drop every yoga membership you have. And never do that again. But we, what we would caution you on is the emptying of mind, of uh, inviting just this like deep meditative awareness to come over you. Is that right? Is that fair? Yeah. Um, so, occult objects is another thing we talked about here. What do you mean by that? Because well, let me give you an illustration. Um, we had a deacon in our former church, and. Um, uh, he called our uh, church office one day and said, uh, Jim, I think our house is haunted. He said, um, the lights will go off and on 
without anybody touching the switch, and the switch actually moves. The air conditioning heating unit will go off and on, not because of the automatic thing, but because we'll hear the click in the other room, and the switch has been moved. Nobody's been in there. And one night, the mother was in the emergency room, and they had a little toy organ, and it played a funeral dirge all by itself. And so they were freaked out, and I was busy. I couldn't go, so I sent one of our other pastors and uh, a deacon over to the, to the house, and I instructed them to walk through the house and prayerfully ask if there was any, to discern if there's any object. I'd already talked to him on the phone, I think, about any occult practices, and, you know, they're a Christian, godly Christian family. So I asked them to, to search the house, and they walked through, and they didn't see anything. And so the associate pastor said, well, do you have an attic? And they said, yes, well, can we go in the attic? So they did. And in the attic, they found this old picture that had been left by the previous owners. It was some Masonic group. And the name on it was Damien and Pythias. And so there's this picture of... Uh, some old men sitting okay. there, some old Masonic and, group. And then there's the name on there that says what? Damien and Pythias. Okay. And our associate pastor said, well, you know, from Greek uh, in seminary, I learned that Damien is a word for demon. And so I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but that picture might have something to do with your problem. And so he said, I suggest you, you burn it, get rid of it. He said, okay, it doesn't, doesn't mean anything to us. It was just left here by the previous owner. We'll, we'll do that. And this deacon reported a couple days later that when he went to burn this picture, he said he was, he, this overwhelming fear came over him. Again, the hair went up on the back of his neck, and he just was terrified. But he determined to go through with it, and he put the picture in the barrel, put the gas on it, and set it on fire. And after that, they had no more problems. Hmm. So, and, you know, I, I had an experience in a doctor's office uh, of a family member, a little... Uh, the ghost of a little girl was appearing in the rooms, and the doctors saw it, and patients saw it. Medical transcriptionists were terrified to be there alone at night because they saw her skipping down the hall. And so, you know, the same kind of thing. It was an object. It was sure. a picture that they gotten in an estate sale. That was in the office. Yeah. And then once they got rid of that once picture. Once we prayed over the office and the picture was gone, okay. everything was fine. So last thing I have here, last question, and then we'll kind of transition out of this and, and wrap this up. But ghosts, we, we hear about ghosts, we read stories about ghosts. Uh, what does the Bible talk about ghosts? What do you believe? What, what have you seen there? What? I don't believe that spirits of the dead regularly right. come back to haunt people. I believe those are demons right. impersonating the spirits of the dead. Um, and this is the weirdest story of all that you have, yeah, I think. yeah. Uh, one night, um, one day, uh, a lady came in to see me as a pastor, and she sat in my office, and she was not a believer, but a friend of a church member, and she wanted to ask me a question about cremation. Her husband had died. He'd been cremated. She had his ashes on the mantle, and uh, so I told her what I thought, and then um, she said, you know, I just miss him so much. In fact, I dream about him every night that he comes into the bedroom with me, and lies on the bed with me and and I looked at her and I said it's not really a dream is it and she was surprised she said no it really happens and he said, he really appears in the room at night and he gets in bed and lies in the bed with me with his arm around me 
And I said, well, was there any time where something unusual happened, where it wasn't the same as before? And she said, yes, one night um, when he appeared, um, holes opened up in his head, and these red lights were you know, shining out of these holes in his head, and little green creatures appeared, and they were running around the bedroom and opening my drawers and pulling my things out. And I said, friend, I think that God has pulled the curtain back and shown you the truth of what's really been happening. And I said, I hate to tell you this, but you've not been in bed each night with your dead husband, but with a demon. Well, she didn't like to hear that. And uh, she, she didn't want to leave the experience, even though it was fake and false, of what she thought was her dead husband. So she didn't want Christ. She didn't want to change. She quickly got up and left at that point. So, so again, how, as Christians, what, what do we do with this? How, how do we open ourselves up to demonic activity, evil activity? Number one, you're going to say uh, unconfessed sin, unrepentant sin, just letting that harbor in your heart. The other thing, that, and I think I think it's a good warning for us, is um, a pra- occult practices, objects, witchcraft, all of that stuff, the, the mind, opening your mind up, this deep meditation where you're inviting something to occupy your mind. Uh, and we need to press against that. I mean, we need to be aware of that. Keep our minds active. And, and know that this is real, right? Uh, and so again, what do we do with this? We, we don't want to go crazy here. We don't want to walk around at your work tomorrow, casting out demons of your boss and, and uh, you know, your children invite you, my, my kid's acting bad, come pray over my kid. Um, we don't want to go crazy, but we do want to be aware. And one of the big dangers is we, we never want evil to become more exciting than Jesus. Okay, so again, what do we do with this? We become aware, we have a healthy fear and respect, but we understand what Jesus taught us here, that he is stronger than all things. And then we must fill our minds, fill our hearts with him, right? We must press into him, be spirit-filled, not look for something else to fill us and occupy us. The goal here is this this would really bring you to Jesus. Last words? I just want to speak to you if you're not yet a believer in Jesus. Um, Demons try to lure you with uh, uh, into the occult with a promise of supernatural knowledge or supernatural power but guys they're just offering you glittering trash (laughs) it's shiny it's attractive it stirs your curiosity but it's a cheap substitute for the real treasure jesus is the real treasure he's the true light of the world he's the source of true knowledge and true power. Satan will try to deceive you into thinking that he's more exciting than Jesus. He's not. He may put you on a brief power trip, but guys, I promise you, he will leave you terrified, depressed, trapped, out of control, maybe suicidal, and headed for hell. Thanks for coming. Thanks for sharing. Again, many years of ministry here, and I just wanted him to be able to speak on this and to bring a realness here. Let me close with a passage from James. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Again, see that Christ is stronger. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. There's repentance. He sinners. Purify your hearts. He double-minded. There's this 
really awesome imitation of Jesus, press into me, draw close to me, be filled with me, and I am stronger than he that is in the world. So as believers, may we, may we hold on to that this morning. As we come to communion this morning, here's what we're celebrating. We're, we're reminding ourselves that uh, our constant need for Christ, constant need for Jesus, uh, and be reminded as you come to the table, uh, it's not just his forgiveness, but it's his indwelling, his indwelling spirit that is our need as believers.